Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. Although we're often considered a cowboy church, we're actually a community of diverse people from many different backgrounds who have a common commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. If you have questions, suggestions, and feedback you would like to share with us, please use our email service at infomillervillechurch.org. And now, here's a message from Sunday morning at MCC. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for um, giving to us a way of being able to draw closer to you, knowing Jesus Christ, having your Holy Spirit, and um, having your word so that we might have greater understanding, so that we might have a deeper relationship with you. And Lord, we do pray that we would take to heart the words that you tell us, the words that you speak to us through your word. We pray that we would um, take the time and, and spend, um, be diligent in spending that time digging deeper into what you have to say and not just glossing over these words. I pray, Lord, that we would understand better what it is, your favorable year, what you meant by that, that we might be proclaimers that the year of favor has come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been uh, doing a series on Jesus, and we've been um, working through sort of his life. And I just wanted to start with um, a little bit of background. So we're in Luke 4, which is right on the heels of the early things that happened to Jesus. So it always helps if you kind of get the context and you kind of work your way through so you know at what point he's talking about these things. And so we've already had, um, well, the birth of Jesus, obviously, and then we talked about the baptism of Jesus. And then uh, one of the things that we only mentioned briefly was his time, what we call in the wilderness, or the temptation of Christ. And that was 40 days where he went into the wilderness. He was led there by the Holy Spirit. And uh, he didn't, um, he fasted for those 40 days. And during the, uh, well, we don't know if it's the whole 40 days or sort of towards the end of it, he was tempted by the evil one, by Satan. And of course, Jesus never failed. Although he was tempted, he never sinned. And that's the big thing for us to remember is that temptation is not sin. Sin is sin, when we act on temptation. But temptation is not the sin itself. And even Jesus himself had been tempted by the devil, and yet he never sinned. So because he's given us his Holy Spirit, it's possible for us to go that same route. I'm not saying that we always do, but it's possible. And so um, he really is our example. So when he returns from this experience... This is what embarks him on what we understand to be his public ministry. So up until now, he's been in Nazareth, and he's um, just been doing family things, doing his carpenter thing, and now begins his public ministry with his baptism. Then he goes away, the temptation, and then he comes back, and he really starts to proclaim the gospel. And it says that he picks up where John the Baptist um, left off, which is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we turn to Luke chapter 4, and uh, I'm just going to read to verse 22, so starting at verse 16. 
And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is not this Joseph's son? So um, we see that a couple of things that he's, first of all, he's in the synagogue. So the synagogue's not the temple. And a lot of people get these confused. They don't do sacrifices in the synagogues. The synagogues were places of teaching, much like what you're experiencing right now. And so they would come there, they would worship, they would teach, and they would gather together as fellow believers, albeit Jewish believers. So the synagogues were set up all over Israel. The main temple is in Jerusalem. That's where the sacrifices were done, and that's why they were required three times a year to go to Jerusalem. But the rest of the year, they were in these synagogues. And Jesus is up in Nazareth, which is up in the north country in the province of Galilee. And so he's, um, that's his hometown, and he, goes, he starts with his hometown, which I think is a good... Um, uh, template for ministry is that we start by telling our family about the good news. And uh, I remember when I was uh, when I first became a Christian at summer camp, and went home and told my family the good news. And it took them a long time to get there, but all of them did eventually. Not because of me, but you know various circumstances. So our first um, thing that we do is to tell those who are closest to us. And so Jesus is going back to that synagogue in Nazareth, and he's telling them the good news, that today is the favorable year of the Lord. And so uh, I just want to um, remind us that this synagogue, the purpose of it is for teaching. This has always been really important, important to the Lord. And I know that there's a thing nowadays to say that we don't need this kind of teaching, but apparently the Lord thinks we do. And um, so we continue to do what he's called us to do, which is why we're all here trying to learn what he has to say. The other thing is, is that he does it on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is which day of the week? The seventh day of the week. It means seven. And it's it understood as a time of rest. God created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. And he set up the pattern for us of rest on a seventh day. And so um, by New Testament times, so they always practice on the seventh day, which we know is what day of the week? Saturday. But the New Testament, they started meeting on the Lord's Day. And there's reasons why they did that. But the main reason is, is that that was the day that the Lord was resurrected. So they started meeting on the Sunday. But the point is the day of rest. That's the point. Because it's a picture of the rest that we have in Jesus Christ. We are resting from our works. And it doesn't just mean our physical labors, but it actually means our attempt to make ourselves good in the sight of God, that we do it on our own. We can't. 
we must rest in the work of Christ. And so that's the picture of the Sabbath. And we see sevens are very key to understanding Jesus' ministry. You'll see it come up over and over. Plus, in the prophecies, you'll see it coming up a lot. And it's usually referring to something to do with the Messiah. And that's what the digging in is to do, is to figure that out. So um, what they used to do, or still do actually, the Jews still um, in the synagogues practice this. They would have what's called parsha, which is the readings that they do every week. And so they have weekly readings, just like we come together, and they would read the parsha. And um, they had 50 of them. They had 54, but in a short year, like leap year or, or the, I guess the opposite, they would do the 50 weeks, and then they would cram in those other four weeks into it. They would um, shorten them up. So this is what they're doing. And what they would have is the practice of passing around those scriptures that would be on a scroll. It wouldn't be in a, a book like this, a bound book. That's a, a more modern thing to do. So it would be on a scroll. And they would usually read something from the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, and then something from the writings or the prophets. And this is where we're at. And because of what was handed to Jesus, the book of Isaiah was handed to him as, you know, the, a rabbi. So they would take turns, and it was um, kind of a thing to do if it was a special day like your birthday or if it was your bar mitzvah, you might be handed the scriptures as well because that's your special day. So they would share that around. And so Jesus is here, and so he was given the scroll of Isaiah. And he opened it to probably what would have been the 50th week. So the 50th week is actually the scripture right before this that he read. And the, the next week is the scripture right after. So um, he read Isaiah 61 at the beginning, and um, before that is Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 22 in the Parsha, which is all about um, the Gentiles and about how the Gentiles are going to come in and bless Israel. Uh, they would understand it, physical blessing, but we would understand it like the church, really, is the fulfillment in its bigger way of coming in. So the Gentile believers who have come in and grafted in into the nation of Israel, spiritually. And so uh, that was right before. And then comes... After that is Isaiah 61, verse 9 and following. But in between, they didn't read. And that's the part that Jesus chose to read, which is very interesting, because that's the part that they would normally, it wouldn't be part of that weekly reading. So uh, now they were to read all the scriptures, of course, but they only had certain ones that are part of that weekly reading. So I want us to look at that um, back in Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah and see that. But Jesus says four things in that reading. And these are the four things that he says. He says uh, in um, Isaiah 61, right at the beginning, the Spirit of the Lord, I'm reading out of Luke, but it's a quote out of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to first preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden 
and to proclaim, and I think this is a summary statement, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so the favorable year of the Lord is marked by these four things that happen. And so we saw that really in Jesus' um, ministry, we're going to see that. So he's setting up his public ministry, and these are the very things that he's going to be doing. He's going to be preaching the gospel to the poor, or um, it actually says the good news, to preach, to bring the good news to the afflicted or the humble. And we learn from uh, the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about the poor in this case, he really is talking about the spiritually poor, to bring the good news to those who are spiritually impoverished. Did Jesus bring the good news to those who are spiritually impoverished? Yes, he did. The second one is to proclaim release to the captives or liberty to the captives. And you think of, like I think of the demon-possessed. Like remember the, the man who had the legion of demons in him that was, um, you know, that it was called legion because he had so many demons in him and he was bound and chained and they, he kept breaking the chains and they had him in the rocky places in the tombs away from the city because he was like so wild and he was so untamed and he was so dangerous that they kept him away from the rest of them and he was cutting himself and he kept trying to kill himself but he couldn't and um, the Lord when he came he released him from really that captivity the the possession of those demons that held him held him captive and so he proclaims release to the captives to the captives of sin to the captives of captives of anything that keeps us from having liberty in Christ because he came to set us free and if you have something that is that you feel just binds you that you feel has kept you from really experiencing freedom you can be free and we can be free through Jesus Christ that's really the only way that we can really truly be free and all of us have had things that have held us captive. There's nobody here that hasn't had sin hold them captive, at least in their past, if not now in their present. And the Lord tells us that we actually can be free of that. But we must come to him, and we're going to see this, we're going to have to come to him in repentance. The other one is the, he says, recovery of sight to the blind. We certainly saw Jesus um, or we'll see that he gives sight to the blind and he does it in different ways. He doesn't have a formula. So he, there are many who are blind or lame or deaf or mute. So all these things, he gave healing. And one of the things that we've been learning in our Mark study on the Wednesdays is that Jesus keeps saying, those who have ears, let them hear. And he's saying there's a difference between hearing the word and listening to the word, actually doing the word, actually carrying it out in our lives. And so he um, has given us recovery to be able to actually see Jesus, to actually hear him, to act on it, not for it just to kind of go, you know, read in our, with our eyes, but never sink in. And then uh, the last one, set free the downtrodden, and I think of, uh, there's another one, way of putting that, to bind up the brokenhearted is also um, how it's phrased. Those who were bound by the rules of the Pharisees. 
and it's no different today. Though we don't have a, a pharisaical group that tell us how to live and these are the rules, often we set those up ourselves. And we say, these are the rules that I live by. And they become so cumbersome that we feel defeated constantly. We never, ever can seem to rise above those rules. And he said, I have come to set you free from those rules. He has fulfilled the law. He has not abolished the law. But he has given us the freedom to actually do right in the sight of God. Not because of our own righteousness, but because of his righteousness. That we actually can be right in the sight of God, which is huge and not bound by the rules and regulations that the Pharisees had set up. That's why we're always careful when we talk about the Sabbath not to give you a whole bunch of Sabbath rules because that's not how we operate. The whole idea is to understand that our rest is in Jesus. So what does that mean when you work that out in your own life? It'd be so easy if we would just give everybody a set of rules but on the other hand, it would be so hard because we'd be constantly be breaking them. And so what seems easy, just tell me what to do, is not so easy because I end up not being able to do them. And what Jesus is saying, I want you to have the heart for me, not the outward appearance, but the heart is to be for me. And so this is really what he came to do. That was his ministry, to break us free, either from sin or the demon possession that they had or from the pharisaical rule and um, the control that the Pharisees were exerting over them, he said, I want you to have that true freedom, which is freedom in Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 21, um, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And people were just thrilled with what he had to say. But I want to look at what is today. And to look back at Isaiah 49, verse 8. Isaiah 49, 8 says, Thus says the Lord, In a favorable time I have answered you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Now, if you notice up on this, you is capitalized. And you say, well, how do we know that that's referring to God, or in this case, Jesus? And it's because of what's written in the next part. And I will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people to restore the land, to make them inherit the desolate heritage. So in other words, Jesus is the covenant. He is the covenant. We don't have a covenant that we keep because we can't. He is the covenant. And so we come to God in the covenant of who Jesus is. And so that is what the favorable year of the Lord is. That's what it's referring to. It's called the year of Jubilee. I'm going to explain a little bit about that, but I just want us to look, the next one is 2 Corinthians. Just look at 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 to 2. And working together with him, this is Paul writing, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says... At the acceptable time, same time phrase. He's referring to the same thing that Jesus was talking about. At the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Oh, I can't tell you how important that is. That is not some day to come. It is today. Today is the day of salvation, and we mustn't miss that. We may not have another opportunity. 
we think, oh, well, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus said that was fulfilled. But that's because of his grace. We are in an age of grace. How long will that last? None of us knows. He's told us that it will not always go on like this, and the day of judgment will come, and it will come quickly. And will we be ready? So that's why he says today is the day of salvation. And Paul picks up on that in his writing to the Corinthians. And so we need to really take that um, warning to heed. So um, I just want to talk about the year of Jubilee. So the year of Jubilee is the 50th year. And it was set up by seven sevens. Remember I said that the sevens are very important in understanding the ministry of Jesus. And so um, you can go back into Daniel chapter 9 and you can see what he's talking about there. And we see the weeks of Daniel, which if you've studied Daniel with us, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Or you'll say, oh, yeah, I kind of remember we studied that. I don't remember much. Well, it's in there. But um, the year of Jubilee was set up in Leviticus. You can read about it in Leviticus 25 at your leisure. We're in Leviticus twice today, Glenn and now me. And so in Leviticus, it talks about um, Israel had these rules. You know how we get into debt, and we get into debt so far that we think we will never get out. Well, they didn't do that in Israel. It didn't work that way. They had more grace. God set up the nation to be different than all the other nations around it, and this is one of the ways that it was different. So if you got into debt, you could sell your crops, or you could sell your um, children, or you could sell yourself. So which one would you pick? <laughs> that depends on the day. So you're able to do this, but not permanently. So every seventh year, there's redemption. And you might be so seriously in debt that you actually have to give over your land in a big way. And it goes on and on and on. And so the value of the land was how many years, how many more crops are there until the year of redemption. And the year of redemption, by the 50, it was every seven years, there were certain redemptions. But on the 49th year, when the shofar um, was sounded, which is the ram's horn, on the Day of Atonement, it marked the beginning of the year of Jubilee, which is the 50th year. That's why we call the Queen's birthday the Jubilee birthday because it's a biblical reference to the 50th year. And so on the 50th year, that's when everything goes back to the original property owners. The children get returned to their parents. Well, that happened every seven years. So you could get rid of them between the 7 and 14. That was really easy. <laughs> So, um, but everything's returned on the year of Jubilee. So that way, the tribal lands were maintained, the tribal territories were maintained because it would go back to the original owner. And it would only um, get sold permanently if there was, you know, other circumstantial things that happened. But by and large, everything got redeemed. And it's a year of redemption. It's a year of rejoicing because it's a year of redemption. Everything is returned. Everything is restored. And that's why when we talk about Jesus redeeming, he also restores. The redemption is moving us forward to something that is full of grace. And that's why he says it's gracious. They say that gracious words were coming from his lips. This is what he was proclaiming. 
because he said today, this year of Jubilee, which, by the way, Israel failed to celebrate so many times. They failed to celebrate the Jubilee. Jesus came and he said, this is the real Jubilee. All those other things were pointing, most of the Old Testament is pointing to things about Jesus, about the Messiah and about his second coming. And so this is one of the big things, is this year of Jubilee. This favorable year of the Lord is pointing to the fact that Jesus has redeemed us. He has come, he has died on the cross, and he's saying today it's fulfilled. Finally, this long-awaited time, waiting for the Messiah, has come today. Now remember I said at the beginning that this wasn't a scripture that they would have normally read at that time. They would have read before it, they would have read after it, but not this particular one. And so that's why when he read it, and then he stopped mid-sentence, because the next one is the day of vengeance. And he didn't say anything about that. He stopped with the favorable year of the Lord, and he didn't move into the day of vengeance, which is still, it's like it's mid-sentence in Isaiah. And everybody's kind of waiting, because you know the scriptures well, and they're waiting for the rest, and he stops, and then he says, today it's fulfilled. Today the jubilee is here. Today the time of restoration is here. And they're all going, wow. Like, first of all, we weren't expecting that. Secondly, you didn't finish a sentence. And for us, looking in hindsight, we understand he's saying the first coming. It has come. And Jesus will return, and when he does return, he will be bringing the day of vengeance. It's, it's the great and terrible day of the Lord, and it's a day of judgment. But I think it's really cool because he calls it the year of Jubilee and the day of vengeance. That the year is like this huge time of grace that we've had 2,000 years since he came. He has graciously given to us to turn away from our sin, to repent, and to be restored to God himself. But the day is coming. The great and terrible day of the Lord is coming. It tells us so much in Scripture about that day that's coming, to be prepared for it. And we don't prepare for the day of judgment by trying to do good works. We prepare for the day of judgment by having a heart for the Lord by being redeemed by Jesus Christ, by repenting from the sin that has captured us and saying, Lord, I want to be yours and I want to be yours completely. That is how we prepare for that great and terrible day that's coming. And the judgment will not, those who have done that, will not go through that judgment, it tells us in Scripture. So Jesus is telling them now is the favorable year. Now is the age of grace. And he ushers in what we call a number of different things. We call it the church age, but we mostly call it the age of grace because it's an age where we are no longer under rules and regulations and all the extra stuff that the pharisaical traditions built in. We are living under this grace that Jesus brought to us. But then, they think this is great. Listen to what they say. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And then in the same sentence, and, really you could put in brackets, others, 
started saying, isn't this Joseph's son? And in Mark, it goes into a lot more detail. Because what they said in Mark is they said that they, isn't he Mary's son? Aren't these his brothers that we've lived with and his sisters? Like, who is this guy? Who is he to come and tell us? He's just my next-door neighbor. He's been, he grew up with us. Who is he to come and pronounce that the favorable year of the Lord is here, that today the scripture is fulfilled? Like, who is this guy? And it's almost like this change. And this is the thing about coming together. It can be very good, and it can also be very bad. We can influence each other for good, which is what we're commanded to do, to encourage each other in love and good deeds, or you just start to get some gossip, some grumbling, some complaining, and it's not long before more and more join in, and that's what we see that's happened here. They loved what he had to say, but all of a sudden, it turned against Jesus, and they didn't like what he had to say anymore. And they said, well, who is he to tell us? And what he's really saying is that there's this hardening of hearts. We see it right here in these people, this hardening of hearts in Israel. And um, a lack of repentance, and it's such a warning to us. A lack of repentance on our part. And we we've talked a lot about repentance because it's so necessary to have it. A lack of repentance on our part will lead to a hard heart. Every time we decide, nah, I don't think it's that bad. Oh, I don't think I'll talk to the Lord about that one. I don't have anything to confess. It was them that are the bad guys, not me. Every time we do that, we harden our own hearts. And we see that with Pharaoh in the days of Egypt. We see that with Herod. And we see that with these people that Jesus hung around with. Every time we don't repent, it gets harder and harder and harder. And to be able to repent after that, always it takes the miracle of Jesus. But we set up resistance. And the only way to keep soft before the Lord is to have that as a continual way of saying, I'm sorry. Like, say it quickly. Apologize to the Lord. Confess it to the Lord. Agree with the Lord that that was wrong. And that you choose to go the other direction that you no longer want to keep doing that and you're going to go the other way, that you turn your back on that sin. Even if you go back and do it, immediately repent. And the more that we learn to repent, the more we're able. That's why he says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not that he doesn't forgive, it's that our hearts grow hard when we don't confess. That's the problem. And so we continually do that as a practice and become softer and softer before the Lord. Now, he, I'm going to read this to you because he says two things that really made the people mad. So remember, these are Jewish people. And he says, after they say, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Remember, they said that to him on the cross. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well, because he did so many miracles in Capernaum. But it tells us in Mark, he didn't do very many in Nazareth because they had such a hard heart. And he, he was amazed 
that he wasn't able to do those miracles because of the hardness of their hearts. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, who is the great prophet, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, which is a significant period of time, but I don't have time to get into that, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet, Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon. That's not in Israel. That's north of Israel, on the, uh, on the coast of the Mediterranean, to a woman who was a widow. So he's saying, you know, there are plenty of widows in in Israel, but Elijah was sent to a widow that was a Gentile. This, this they don't like to hear. Listen to the next one. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, that was the prophet that came after Elijah, um, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Naaman was the captain of the king of Aram, of his army. And Naaman was a Gentile. And when he was converted, he, he was a leper. And um, there was a 12-year-old uh, slave that was in their household girl. Uh, she was from Israel, and she said, there's a prophet in Israel. Tell the master there's a prophet in Israel who could heal him, and that prophet is Elisha. And so he reluctantly goes to Israel because Israel's just a scummy place in his mind. And he reluctantly goes there, and he's told, that's the one where he's told to dip in the Jordan River seven times. And he goes, Jordan River, we've got our own rivers back in Damascus. Why do I need to do that? He was a Gentile. He was as snobby about the Jews as the Jews were about the Gentiles. And he didn't want anything to do with them. And it was his servants who said, you know, just do this thing. Humble yourself. Repentance takes humbling ourselves. But what a relief when we do it. And so Naaman did. And he was healed. And he became a God follower. The God of Israel became his God. And Jesus is picking up on these two stories because they're two stories of Gentiles that were being reached even by these great prophets, even out of Israel. And this to them is, those are not their favorite stories, believe me. They don't tell those stories over and over because they did not love the Gentiles, even though they had been commanded to be a light to the nations because that's God's heart. It wasn't their heart. And Jesus is pointing it out. And really what he's saying in saying this is the favorable year of the Lord has come because this message that was given to Israel is now, you guys never gave it, he says, out to the Gentiles, even though I told you to. Now it's the age of grace. And I am going to proclaim my name throughout the Gentile <coughs> nations, throughout the world. Everything that's not a Jew is a Gentile. And so Jesus was saying it's going out to the Gentiles. And they're going, oh, they don't like that. Because listen to what they do when he finishes that. And all in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they rose up and cast him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff like they're going to kill him. They're so angry with what he says about this. A few minutes ago, they were going, oh, that's so gracious. 
But then they started thinking and grumbling. And then Jesus said these two things about the Gentiles. Well, now they're angry and they want him dead. And that's how he starts his public ministry, with his hometown wanting him dead. Wow, how many of us can stand up to that? And yet we're called to, because he said, I want you to follow me. And this is where Jesus goes. And so they took him up to the brow and they want to throw him over. But it says, but passing through their midst, he went his way. If you look back at the beginning it's of this passage that we have today, it said um, right before it, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And so here we see the power of the Spirit being demonstrated. They want to throw him over, and he just walks through this crowd that's ready to kill him. He just passes through. It's not like he's invisible. It's like they can't touch him because of the power of the Spirit. And so um, he's protected from their rage. And so will we be if we follow after the Lord. And sometimes people are enraged by the message that we have. Let it never be because we're jerks. <laughs> but sometimes people are enraged at the message of the gospel. And yet we are called to proclaim it because for some it is really good news. And they will receive it with joy. And they will turn and they will repent just like we did if you were a follower of Christ. If you're not there yet, I urge you, because now, today, is the day of salvation. Romans 10:19 says, I will make you, meaning Israel, jealous by that which is not a nation, meaning the Gentiles. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Israel is angry. And they do not consider Christianity to be rooted in Judaism. We do. Our, we are a Jewish faith that is fulfilled. Christianity is rooted in Jewish everything. History, teaching, understanding, prophecy. The whole Old Testament is our foundation. And, but the Jews do not see it that way, and they are angry with the Christian world. And yet the Christian world, when it follows what it ought to, not that we've always been very good at this, ought to love the Jewish people because that is our roots. We are grafted in. We are the, the wild olive branch that's grafted in to the, the nation of Israel. But Israel is jealous because of God's grace to the Gentiles, of which most of us here are probably Gentiles. But the application really is a lot more than the Jewish people. It's about having a hard heart, about repenting, about loving the Lord, about having a heart that is fully his. And really, that's what we want to do, is to look at our own heart condition, are we the ones who receive his gracious words with joy? That he has been so merciful? Or are we the ones who say, those guys are sinners. They shouldn't be saved. Look at what they did. That actually is not the heart of God. The heart of God is for all sinners to come to him. The heart he wants us to have is to tell others the good news that we have. Not to shut the door because we're in and they're out which is really 
the model of Israel, his heart is that we open that door and that we invite people to come and know of the gracious words, of the grace that comes from Jesus because he's a merciful God and because he has said that he loves us, like he loves us in such a huge way. It's not just this mushy love that we see, you know, at Valentine's Day, which is coming up on the shelves, which is kind of nice, and it'd be nice to get those cards. But that's not what Jesus' love is. His is actually so sacrificial. I find it very hard to love people I hate. I don't know about you guys. It's very difficult, and I actually can't do it. But the Lord can do it through us as he teaches us how to let go, how to forgive like he forgives, how to be like he is, not because we're able to muster it up, not because I'm just going to love that person, but because he loves me, and he's shown me how to be forgiving because he's forgiven me. And because I'm so thankful for that, he teaches me how to forgive others. It's only because of the power of his Holy Spirit. It's not because there's anything good in me. It's because of him. And that's true for all of us. And so he's saying, now is the day. Today is the day of salvation. We do not know what even the next few minutes hold. None of us do. We can recount history. We can say this is what's happening right now. But there's not one person in this room who knows the future. But God does. And he's the one who says today is the day of salvation. And so if you are that person who has not made a commitment to the Lord, you know that you do not have freedom in Christ. You know that you have not been redeemed. There is a way to be redeemed. And that is through simple confession of our sin, repentance from it. That means turning away from it and trusting Jesus for our salvation. That's it. That's the good news, is that he actually accomplished what we could not. And so I would invite you, if you have not made that commitment, that today is the day of salvation, and that you make that commitment today. And don't let another day go by. The Lord will help us. We don't get good and then come to faith. We come to faith and then... He does his goodness in us, and that's the order. So I would just invite you to come up here and talk with Pastor John or myself or one of the other um, elders or anybody who wants to come up to pray with those who come forward. Um, if there is anyone, I would encourage you to do that. Or maybe you already know the Lord, but you have not walked in the freedom that he gives. That's what we do for one another is we pray for one another. And so we can do that as well. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you have taken this heart of stone and taken it out of our hearts and given us a heart of flesh, one that beats and loves you. And it's not because of anything we did. It's because of what you did. And you called us and you beckoned unto us and you loved us. And in your grace, you taught us how to respond to you. And Lord, I would just pray by your mercy, by your grace, that we might walk in the newness of life. And Lord, if there's any here who's right on the cusp of, of just wanting to do that, I pray that your Holy Spirit would 
move them to do so and that you would just keep the evil one and the the lies that he tells us we're not good enough or that you don't really care about us you care about others but not us lord um, or that we just have never been able to maintain the way of faith lord i would just pray that all of those lies would be shut down and that we instead would hear the truth that you love us that you have called us to be your children and that you have given us the way through Jesus Christ for that to be possible. So we pray this in your precious name. Amen. So if you would stand, I want to read from Ephesians, which is really picking up from where Janice was reading, right at the end of Ephesians, after that um, section on the, the armor of God. At the end of that chapter, this is what Paul writes. Peace be to the brethren. And he's not talking about world peace. He's talking about peace between us and God. Peace be to the brethren. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. So amen. Thank you. Millerville Community Church is a non-denominational country-style church with a huge heart for God. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. All are welcome. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.